0: Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the Scoop Radio Network.
1: And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get
0: done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Right. right. I'm not sure when people are listening to this, but it's morning for us, and for me, it's like deep 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 because in the morning. you're, you're doing a lot of travel your time yeah yeah, you're yeah taking so a
1: lot of red eyes
0: a lot of red well yes i took one but that's all you really need in order to for to it, ruin the, your week at your the age Am I, <laughs> thank you that was you're the second person in two days who said that like, uh, aren't you a little old for that <laughs> yeah
1: i was just saying like uh like we're not that far off in age and these days i'm uh by nine thirty. Like, Billy and I were talking before about the All-Star Game festivities in D.C., and, like, if you would have told me 10 years ago the All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby would have been in D.C., I would have been like, I'm going to be there. But instead, it's like I found out it started at eight o'clock. I was like, "Ooh, that <laughs> means it's not going to end to like ten thirty, with traffic." That gets me in bed wow. by midnight. That's well, probably I'm not that work. old. Well, I yeah. Am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, uh, we were we were discussing before we started um, what would be the best, best next subject to tackle after uh, tackling our our joint aspiration of of. Uh, uh, combined OPM directorate. Um, right.
1: So with last last time we got together to tape a podcast, we pretended we were the head of OPM, jointly running the office.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, like Roman generals, I'd take one day, you'd take the next. Sounds
1: perfect. Right. Um, and uh, and we talked about how what we would do to improve the workforce issues in the federal government. So maybe we should tackle our next issue.
0: Right. And I was thinking, like, if you were to go through like kind of the the, the list of the uh, boiler room projects that you would need to undertake to reform uh, the federal government and the way it actually delivers services. You know, you're going to have technology. We've, we've had folks on talking about that before. You, you, actually, as we discussed, you have to start with the people. There are things like the budget process. But I, I actually think one of the big ones, and it should be something we talk about more than once, is um, acquisition policy, procurement.
1: Which, just the way you described it, sounds super boring. Right. Like acquisition, procurement. sounds what very technical. It's like, like the like government
0: buys stuff. Buys stuff. That sounds less boring. Uh, maybe. I don't right. know. At I least it's more plain language. Right. Oh, right, right. Well, that's a whole other episode, is plain, plain language. language. <laughs> yeah. Just in case I don't know that you and I have the
1: ability to have a plain language podcast. Right, broadcast.
0: right. Well, there's, they're experts on that. Yeah.
1: But yeah, you got you know the two terms that we use technically: acquisition, procurement. Um, but but the reality is is that the is that, is that the government buys a lot of stuff, and uh, there are complaints from every angle in terms of the process in which the government buys stuff. Complaints from inside government that the process is too slow; they can't be nimble enough. They have. Uh, restrictions on what they can do that compromise their ability to get get the job done quickly. I actually have a, a, an example of that from my experience in government. Um, and then, or many, um, and then there's people outside government who are trying to sell things to the government who bang their head against the wall in terms of how hard it can be to sell stuff to the government.
0: Right. So they do. Um if I remember correctly, at least while I was there, the number was somewhere on the order of half a trillion dollars of acquisition every year, and that's and that's stuff and that's services. That's, yeah. Um, Actually,
1: let me. Let, I'll tell my very quick story, and I think I've told it on a previous podcast, but not through the lens of procure or of of the government buying stuff. But um, in the winter of 2013, before I went to the IRS and I was still at OMB, I got called into the to the West Wing. Uh, to a meeting where they needed my help on a special project, and the project was that the uh, Mississippi River was going to close due to record low water levels. There had not been a lot of rain that winter. The snow in the north hadn't melted quickly enough. And so, so your
0: plan was to buy just massive amounts of Aquafina? <laughs>
1: Maybe. I had about that much knowledge going in in terms of how to fix it because when they explained the situation to me, um, that the that the record the water level is really low and so low that there might not be able to be barge traffic on the Mississippi and that would have very very problematic implications for for the movement of goods in the U S. Um, my my first answer was like so a rain dance like how can I how can I help?
0: Just that's another idea. We should do a thing on barge traffic.
1: A barge traffic on the you're Mississippi, right, right? And get just, like no, just
0: the inland waterways. Get like, like Tom
1: Sawyer music in the background, possibly. But yeah, that'd but be Get good. someone
0: from the Army Corps of Engineers to.
1: I gotta say, when 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 it, when I first was digesting the problem, and they were saying that that there's a risk that barge traffic on the Mississippi could shut down, I, I was thinking about Tom Sawyer for some reason at that right. moment.
0: Um, and not thinking that that would be such a huge problem.
1: No, I didn't think it was going to be a huge problem, but it, apparently it is. And and and. And the question, Danny, how you could help, was that the um, the solution that the best solution they had was the Army Corps of Engineers had done an engineering analysis of the river and figured that they could increase the water flow by uh, detonating certain rock formations at certain choke points and dredging the river um, the river floor at certain points that would increase water flow and keep it open long enough for the rains to come or the snow to melt. And the issue was that, um, that the Army Corps had come back to the White House and said, we can't get it done. And one of the reasons we can't get it done is we can't procure or buy services from the private sector quick enough to get it done. We, the, the, the regulations that are in place that you'd have to go through to hire the companies that would come and detonate rock formations and dredge the river— It's going to take weeks just to put those procurement actions together. And so my job in that moment, one of my jobs, was to help the Army Corps of Engineers and go in, since I was at OMB at the time with responsibilities in procurement, to go in with a uh, kind of a a waiver, a get-out-of-jail-free pad that says, you need to sole source, you need to skip this particular regulation, I'm here to give you cover, because we just need to get this done. The river has to stay open. Um, obviously, you want to do it in a way that you know. Ultimately, like what I like to say sometimes is the procurement rules are in place so that someone in the government doesn't hire their brother-in-law right. unfairly. So right. unfairly, yeah, you can hire a brother-in-law, yeah. but it yeah. but it has to be through an open competition, yeah, and the right. brother-in-law has right. to be and there really might be good... more than
0: one brother-in-law, so you yeah. want to make sure you.
1: But but the point is, is that that's a good I think a good example of you've got a, a compelling uh, emergency, a mission-critical thing that a government agency needs to do in order to avoid uh, problematic economic impacts. Um, and they feel like, well, can't do it because the government regulations around purchasing and procurement will prevent us from moving as agile and as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so OMB had to intervene in that moment. And fix things and, and clear the
0: clear the runway for them. I, I mean, I think there's so many different um, parts that if unless you've had this experience of working um, on a on an acquisition program, buying something, trying to buy a service, you might not understand. So it might it might be worth unpacking a little bit. But I do think that um, inherent in that, and I think this was one part of our our conversation when you brought up this example last time, is that while the the regulations themselves allow for that the flexibility to be kind of emergent in in, in getting the services. What what you really have is this fear of exercising those flexibilities without yeah. some permission and basically the ability to point your finger at someone else when the inspector general comes knocking or someone files or registers a complaint or or something goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we talked about it when we talked about personnel reform. It's like myth busting is part mm-hmm. of is part of any solution, and it's not just myth busting. It's it's myth busting plus uh, helping get rid of some of the risk aversion that goes into some of the the activities. I mean, at some point we should probably discuss why there is so much risk aversion in government. Well,
0: and I, I actually think that, you know, the, the acquisition system we have right now was not a group of people consciously sitting down to figure out how to make it as painful, slow, inefficient, and bureaucratic as possible. Um, I don't know if it was the opposite either. But a lot of it just came from, in many ways, where any regulation comes from, particularly in government, a series of, of unfortunate events. As the brother-in-law law problem. The brother-in-law problem, and I, it definitely dates back to the Civil War, where contracts were handed out under the spoils system, and and people were delivering things that uh, didn't work or never delivered or. Um, uh, yeah, you sold us. Yes, yeah, so yes, yeah, so you
1: sold us a lemon. The government has had that problem over the years, and we've mm-hmm. tried to correct that. And then there's the, um, the, the don't unfairly direct money to a friend, the nepotism issue.
0: Yeah, it, goes, it also goes back to when we were talking about the shutdown issue. We were talking about the Anti-Deficiency Act and the anti empowerment Act, the idea of making a commitment on behalf of the federal government that the government is then obligated to fulfill— there has to be a process by which that, uh, that commitment or that obligation is aligned with the resources, with the budget to do it. So it goes back to the but as everything does here. There's another
1: interesting part that builds this uh, regulation, regulatory uh, framework around uh, buying stuff from the government or selling stuff to the government, which is, which is because you're now working for the government – the government feels like it can regulate you in different ways. So, um, mm-hmm. so, the, so let's say the president of the United States wants to do something with respect to um, equality uh, or worker protections. Um, it could do it through Congress. Uh, it might not be able to get a bill passed through Congress. but So we can take a smaller step and say all, gov- all companies that are going to contract with the government— have to have these type of worker sure. protections, and they can do that without Congress. Uh, at least they can try. I mean, there's a there's a there's an argument to be made. Every
0: time an, a new person who is heading up some new initiative in the White House first showed up, when I was GSA administrator, I would always get a free lunch at the White House mess out of them because yeah. they would bring me the White House mess and introduce themselves. I'd introduce myself, and then we'd get to the business part of the of the lunch. Where they'd say, look, I'm really, you know, we have a deep passion about this issue. We think that if we could harness the power of the federal government's buying, we could change the marketplace. We could create a market incentive for people to care about this issue. And since you're GSA and run the procurement, if we do this through GSA, then we'll fix the government. Right. Um, or it will fix this issue.
1: And so suddenly, if you want to do business with the government...
0: Well, we'll put aside that side, that for a second. Yeah. I had to remind them that GSA only bought 15%. Yeah. And that the the procurement of things um, within the government is, is competitively sourced. If you don't like the speed or the quality, of the outcome of the GSA buying, then you could shift over to NASA or you could shift over to... You could do your own procurement. And so... Um, one of the concerns we had was that since there wasn't kind of a single central set of, of of procurement power or motion in the federal government, if you put a lot of requirements on one agency's procurement system, people would just trade away from it. You yeah. actually have maybe the opposite effect. You create a market incentive for people to buy stuff from the people who didn't care about that.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Because
0: to your, I guess where you were going was. The um, the idea that you would have these requirements that then add another layer of of reporting of of um, uh, certification of uh, you know on on the on the procurement action
1: right but can't the president or the executive branch. Uh, issue requirements that cover all procurements, regardless, regardless of whether the acquisition is coming out of GSA or it's coming out of your own agency.
0: They can, but then can they police it? So you would have a full-time professional procurement-only shop like GSA who would take that executive order, how to process for implementing it, and would be all over it. Yeah. You have a part-time, you know. Um, uh, Group whose incentive isn't necessarily a, aligned around administration policy as much as it is just delivering the service. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm the shop in XYZ agency. I would argue that. And I'm competing with the GSA guys. Part of the way they would compete is by saying, look, we're, we're not going to be as aggressive about that. We had an IG at GSA who really half their time they just focused on the procurement activity. They were constantly looking for errors. XYZ agency at NIG who really cared in the XYZ mission, the acquisition. Oh, it didn't, stuff. yeah,
1: it didn't focuses. Yeah, I can see that. I can see the the GSA because your core mission is acquisition, getting a little bit more. But but it's, I, but it's I not to,
0: about the GSA so much as it's about the fact that there is no there is no such thing as the federal government, right? There's this. This well, that's a controversy
1: state, controversial
0: statement. It, it, it's this affiliated group of actors who have generally the same rules, but behave like anyone does when they you know drive down the highway and see how people feel about the speed limit.
1: <laughs> with with my son being a new driver, I'm very exact, focused on the speed exactly limit right. lately. And
0: yeah, there's there's you in the right lane, and then yes. there's you know everyone else who's within yes. you know. Uh, you know one or two standard deviations of <laughs> you yes. in both directions
1: well i have a, I have a, a question for you which is or an ob- observation that i like your comment on which is i do think that that what i've seen in procurement is a, such a focus on compliance absolutely that that there's missed up the whole
0: upp- system is built on compliance the whole system is built on compliance, not delivery of outcome.
1: Right. So you might. So so if you're uh, uh, working in the procurement system, uh, you might be so focused on compliance that you might not be focused on getting the best deal for the government because that the two things that aren't necessarily overlapping. Right. You can have a. A very compliant procurement process. You've dotted every i, you've crossed every t, you've you've looked at every regulation, you've gotten every signature. It's went through the process exactly the way it's laid out, and you can find yourself in a situation where you're really not pushing the community of of, of sellers to give you their best product at their best price.
0: Again, because no one's no one's really getting any kind of um reward within the system for that. Right? Because there is a chance if you're if you're doing that that you miss any one of these other boxes and so you're just going to get penalized. So the the incentive is not to be penalized. Not to do something wrong. The incentive is not to do it's the the incentive is not doing something right.
1: Well, should we should we uh talk about how to
0: fix it? Well, I'd like to start by saying, look, any Anyone, you sit down with anyone and say, "Look, if the government buys something, wouldn't it make sense, and shouldn't they compete that purchase so everyone has a fair shot at, you know, delivering that service?"
1: In most cases, yes. And in some cases, uh, exceptions maybe not. Like in the I, in I'm the just, Army Corps I'm of Engineers, like, yeah.
0: like in the in general, yes, in general, preferred competition definitely. is preferred to no competition, definitely, right? I mean, I think that's pretty straightforward. Yes. Um, also, uh, competition should focus on, you know, the most easily evaluated things like price, right? You, you really want to get the best price for the federal government.
1: You do. You also don't necessarily want to uh, go with the cheapest every time well, that
0: was that was the famous uh, which which astronaut yeah said, he was looking yeah. out over the earth well basically when they're, they're <laughs> on the launch pad and he's like i'm you know i'm i'm taking great comfort in knowing that this rocket was built by the lowest bidder yeah <laughs> and,
1: and, yeah my yes it's either either they're about to take off or i think there's one quote where they're like you know in orbit and uh, you know, seeing Earth from a distance for the first time, and then reflecting, we should try to find that quote yeah. at the break yeah. or something. The, but yeah. the
0: the point is generally the same. I yeah, mean, you could be walking to the rocket or just staring at it, and like, huh? Yeah, thing is built by the lowest low bidder. That low was bitter. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't get on that. So um, there,
1: there is this interesting. That, that is a really interesting policy tension in terms of and and in the U.S. government procurement process, the way to get a, the way to deal with it is this concept of best value. Where where the um, where a government agency can run a competition where they're going with the lowest price technically acceptable. So they'll take the so as long as they look at every vendor who are
0: as long as wait we really stepped into your real house here, haven't we? Well,
1: <laughs> so so you can look at every vendor and as, and and you you basically extract from all the vendors that submitted bids to sell you whatever it is the good or service, you extract all the ones that reach some minimum technical threshold of. They prove that they could at least do it, and then you just take the lowest price, and that's it, that, that end of competition. And that has um, it proven to have been a tricky situation. There are, there are different types of tasks where that makes sense. There are many tasks where it doesn't, and I think, and I think there's been times where the government has over on that method of purchasing with really negative results because they've ended up having to go redo it, end up spending more than they would have if they would have taken a, a better selection at a higher price
0: earlier. Well, that comes back then to our just you know rational hypothetical in which you're talking to the average person about the government buying something. So in order then to get to this ability to judge you know the value if you will of one person's offering versus another you need to make that comparison as clear as possible right so you should really if you're if you're buying this thing through competition and you're trying to evaluate the relative you know value of the offering the person has you have to kind of describe it don't you you have to you have to be pretty clear about Absolutely. what it is you're buying right? and
1: i think that that's the thing i think the government does a lot of 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 good in this area in terms of you know they, they in many cases they're asking the right questions they're asking what's your experience at uh have you done similar projects of similar scope or sold similar goods of yeah, similar i'm, I'm actually going
0: even a little further behind before that they're they're describing clearly what it is they want to well, buy
1: that is a really good point because having and now living on the other side of the equation mm-hmm. and being outside government and having looked at different uh, proposals for what the government is seeking to buy I often I often read the proposal uh, the request for a proposal and don't have a, a necessarily a good read um, but here's the thing I, well, the most typical thing is that, I read it, and I have a reasonable understanding of what they're looking for. But I have like four questions I'd love to ask mm-hmm. to really kind of hone and clarify. So, so
0: let's let's dig into that then. So if you are this competitive person fighting with some other competitor to provide the best value to deliver the service the government has described, and you want to have a, a question answered— wouldn't it make sense that there be some clear and transparent process for you asking that question and making sure that you don't get your question answered and someone else doesn't hear it?
1: Totally, and I and I think and again I think the government does uh, again a, a fairly good job of setting processes up sometimes. So not always, but you get the you get the proposal, you read it. In general, I think you have a decent understanding of what they're looking for, and you've got these four or five questions. In some cases, the government says, "We'll take questions, mm-hmm. written questions, by such and such deadline." Right, and then and then they'll publish everybody's questions and and all the answers. Right. Um, sometimes, I'll be honest, the the answers are. Are not satisfying. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, hmm, that really yeah. didn't answer my right. question. Yeah, Sometimes right. it does.
0: The so answer get, a riddle with a riddle?
1: Yes. The, but but I think your point is well is well taken that the answer is not necessarily that that, that the vendor should be able to call up the government and have a a one-on-one conversation in the middle of a broader competition Yeah, and,
0: particularly you know better yet at dinner than i that the vendors paying well for. there
1: you get, and that's the thing i mean that you really you're really hitting uh, at the at the slippery slope and the important thing because ultimately let's say i'm not in this business at all and i'm i'm uh, uh you know in a, in a completely different world walk of life living in texas or oregon or something like that and um and, and all I care about is just the taxpayer dollars are protected and the government is, is, effe- is, is as effective as it can be. Right. If you told me, so there's this procurement on the street and there's probably 10 potential companies that are bidding on it. And one of the companies had uh, read the proposal and had a question, a clarifying question, and was able to get a hold of someone in government and ask the question and get an answer. I would not be horrified in the least. I'd be like, oh, that seems like just that fact pattern, I would think, okay, that makes sense. And As long as if the other vendors called and they got their questions answered, I mean, it wouldn't automatically feel sinister to me. Mm -hmm. But then if you add to the fact pattern, they did it over dinner, the vendor paid for the dinner. You know, I'm picturing a dark restaurant now. Right, perhaps cigars. You know, who knows? Someone walks definitely by and, and leaves a
0: briefcase surreptitiously, right, and right, then walks right. away. I'm like, okay, now I'm worried. And and by the way, the the thing you described has certainly happened somewhere in the history of time.
1: Somewhere, yes, definitely in the movies.
0: <laughs> no, but it probably more than certainly has happened. You, know, you could comb through IG reports and find these yeah. exact stories.
1: I, I'm, I'm sure. Again, and because then, it's and the then, highway.
0: There's someone on the highway right now doing 110 miles yeah. an hour. Well, and then a complete the, dangerous idiot.
1: And, and I think we're getting to, and we should probably take a break and come back to it, but I think the what we're getting to is a really interesting question that that drives not just procurement policy but all policy, which is does the government, in reaction to these moments of failure, these moments of, of, uh, of, of letting down the, the taxpayers – uh, confidence in us with these types of moments, we react to it sometimes with a a regime of requirements that maybe is uh, overwhelms the. I would say neither problem. of us have experience with. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we should talk about when we come back from the break. Like, how do we right size the the requirements so that we avoid the restaurant, the dark restaurant, mm-hmm. and the inappropriate uh, conversation about a procurement. Uh, with, uh, with still protecting against that, but not creating an overly burdensome and inflexible But I'm,
0: I'm still not done uh, going through the various steps of this, of this acquisition, which, well, when we come back, we can talk about how you take all that stuff together, what we just talked about, and that's how you end up with the 4,000-page federal, federal acquisition regulation.
1: regulation. Yes. Yeah, all right, great. Let's talk when we get back.
0: GovActually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop radio network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop.
1: GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact.
0: All right, Danny, we're we're back. We're, We're talking about this acquisition, the federal acquisition or procurement process and why is it so complicated? Why is it so hard? Why was it so difficult for you to get all those cases and cases of spring water to refill the Mississippi River? And the answer <laughs> was, um, at first you would say, well, you know, there are many, many makers of spring water, so we should have a competitive process. Why? Because we want to maximize the value to the federal government, perhaps, you know, you know, by, by reducing the price. Um, we need to make sure— that there's uh, a fair process where people can, um, you know, respond by having some clarity about what it is. Is it, does it, is it supposed to be just still or, or, or sparkling water that we're filling the Mississippi back up with, right? So you have to be clear because people may respond <laughs> yeah. with, you know. Uh, I don't know if I should go along with the hypothetical. They, they're gonna, they could respond with cola. And and so now you're and now actually... now you're gonna kill the fish. Now, yeah, now you're actually, <laughs> and they're like, "What? No, it's totally reasonable. You didn't say that it it, it had to be fish uh, fish sensitive uh, uh, water." <laughs> um, and then they, they, you know, because maybe perhaps you weren't so clear in describing what form of liquid you wanted to fill the river with, there should be a process by which people would say, hey, were you talking about a cola where, you know, can I? I've got a lot of, you know, sparkling water, you know. It's can got, I use
1: my sparkling water? It's got water. fair I, mineral. Yeah. it's good
0: minerals. Like it'll actually help the fish, it'll yeah. clean their, their skin. Um, and so you could say, you know, you need a process by which you could respond. Um, and then you would need some system by which people evaluate these responses and perhaps actually have feedback to the, to the, um, you know, the response like, wait, you're, you're missing the, you're missing this or, but the other thing you'd want to do is make sure that the person could actually deliver because you wouldn't want to go through this whole process where you actually say, yeah, I can provide spring water at two cents a gallon. And then it turns out you don't actually have any spring water. And, and in fact, you still, you haven't paid any taxes and, and, Oh, and as we said and before. I violated
1: child labor laws. and right.
0: uh, You, you are, are dealing with terrorists, um, um, and that can be yeah. demonstrated. So having a process in which you evaluate the fitness of the provider of the service, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. You, don't want, you don't want to take bids from people who can't deliver the service. It's two
1: things. It's you don't want to take bids from people who can't deliver the service, and you don't want to take bids or or award anything successful to someone who could potentially deliver the service, but something in there in their background, their operations is is unscrupulous and not consistent with the uh, the principles by which the U.S. government wants to run its operations. There, and there's a
0: third thing. You don't want to uh, take bids from people who in the past had provided. You know, bids that they weren't able to fulfill.
1: right. So, so the past experience is important, right. right. but but and 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 you want to do all that and and solve for all that. In a way that does not slow your your procurement process because the river is going to shut down, right? Well, so you get so the... that's my point. But, but for later... those who didn't listen to the first segment, we really uh, weren't, weren't buying spring water, but okay. Yeah, right. Well, we're, we're not, I wasn't dumb enough to think that was the solution. No, no, but... no, no. I don't
0: think anyone thought. Um, well, maybe just one, that one person. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that's the, pro- I mean, and that's, we've only hit on the, on the stuff in which. The first part of the process, and the acquisition process, goes all the way through delivery, straight through. It continues on until there's an audit and evaluation of what yeah, was did, still did, delivered. Did, yeah, did it. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so did that, so that actually, the vendor can get paid. Did you actually yeah. deliver it? You know, Was it of the quality you said? Does it do what it, it's supposed to do? And then, in theory, the people who bought the product from the vendor are supposed to evaluate that vendor so that subsequent people buying products from vendors... Can get some sense yeah. like whether this person and whether they're going to be able to deliver or not. And that's What's, a whole inter- other-
1: What's interesting about the hypothetical that we're walking through, or the example that we're walking through, is, is I think, as you said, is, all of this is super reasonable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. how do we end up with a consensus opinion that procurement is desperately needed in need of reform? If everything you just walk through is sounds very reasonable from a public policy standpoint, you want to make sure that people can deliver. You want to validate it. You want to get a good deal for the government. All these things. You want to, So you want to have competition. Why, is, why, at the end of the day, do we have what was arguably a process that needs a lot of fixing?
0: And I think the, the answer is that even though the system is designed to maximize competition, maximize value, deliver you know, clear outcomes um, in a high-quality way, uh, people don't feel that that's what's happening. So that's why people feel like it it desperately needs reform. You're going through all these steps, all these steps that are designed to deliver this outcome, the outcome not necessarily being buying the water to refill the river, but the outcome being evaluated as competition, the outcome being evaluated as um, ensuring compliance. And that's the problem, is that there's a disconnect between a process that seems fair and reasonable, delivering these these meta-outcomes, but not delivering the actual outcome.
1: Well, and I think, again, the, I think this question that we're raising is one of the fundamental underlying questions on any regulatory or requirements framework, which is you, se- you typically set up these requirements because there's been some type of failure. Some people might call it a market failure, but some type of failure. The, the taxpayer dollars weren't protected. Uh, life and property wasn't, wasn't protected at some point, or, or we anticipated the failure as being an obvious outcome of a program. And so we regulate and create these requirements to either prevent the failure from happening in the future or address it. And, and, and in this case, like in many regulatory regime cases, you have these questions like are the regulations going far enough, oh, have they gone too far? And basically, are stifling innovation, flexibility, speed, agility, um, and uh, or do we need to think of a more creative, less stodgy, less bureaucratic way to to protect against those same uh, public policy concerns?
0: And, and the answer is, it, it's not probably, probably either or. It's probably yes and. I mean, it, yeah. One of the ways that. Um, the failure in procurement, the the failure of uh, federal acquisition to deliver the outcomes that agencies were seeking, one solution back in the National Performance Review days was to give the agencies direct authority over the acquisition. So the the view was having a centralized acquisition function in the GSA meant you had one organization that was more focused on the process than the outcome because they didn't own the mission. The joke was the GSA's... Slogan was "We're not happy until you're unhappy." Yes, Um, and so the idea was, "Well, I'm going to give this set of um, uh, requirements to deliver a competitive process that maximizes value that has, you know, assures compliance um, to each of the agencies because their primary focus is going to be delivering the mission."
1: And they'll they'll take it. It's kind of like it's it's like a similar argument to like empower the state and local governments. Or the city governments—they'll be more innovative. They're closer to their customers in this case, the citizens—and we'll be able to design solutions that are more customer-centric than we can here in Washington D.C. in the ivory tower.
0: Yeah, and and there is actually a lot to yes to argue that that's in fact the case. So then you're making this trade-off between having you know the strong compliance and then having the the strong agency. You know um you know mission orientation, and as a result, you lose a lot of the visibility into what you're actually buying i mean this was the the crazy thing there's no button you could push in the federal government that would tell you what the federal government bought last year
1: well i mean that that's isn't that what USA spending was supposed to solve supposed for? to solve for, yeah, but what's really interesting about about the whole USA spending story was when we when that when that law was passed and we in two thousand and six and we moved forward to implement it, what we learned was none of our none of our data systems were we're we're making all these procurements we're tracking all we're taking down all this information about every time we spend money, yet there was no simple way of aggregating all of that data into a platform. And so for years and years and years, whenever USA spending was audited by either by GAO or or others, they'd find major, major gaps. You look at how hard it was to populate it, we were working really, really hard to populate data that had major gaps. It's what led to the Data Act, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, a lot of people have different theories about it. But my theory is that the Data Act came about because the Recovery Act pointed out how poor our tracking is of where we spend money, including on
0: contractors. Right. Right. And what's interesting is my, my experience, uh, my, my different experience in the, in the District of Columbia government where Mayor Williams um, really focused on saying we're going to have a single procurement system and spent then the 10 years <laughs> of yeah. actually implementing a single common procurement platform meant that when I was city administrator, I was actually able to push a button and get a report from each agency about very highly specific things that they were spending money on. Yeah. It made the budgeting process better. It made the acquisition process better. And coming back to the federal government, coming to the Treasury Department, where we had 10 bureaus, and each of the bureaus had a separate procurement office reporting nominally to a central procurement office in the department. departmental offices, was like stepping back in time by 10 years. The ability to actually have visibility, even within to those functions within the Treasury Department, which is just one of, you know, dozens of yeah. these organizations. It's,
1: it's interesting. I You know, I, I, I was at OMB. I, I, I spent time overseeing the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. I worked side-by-side side with the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. I never really felt like there was a... Um, a clear um, set of of ideas and, and and streams for how to reform mm-hmm. procurement. It it seemed it always seemed extremely elusive. Uh, as uh, it, versus versus personnel reform, I felt like when you and I talked about that the last right. time we got together, there's just there's just much more kind of obvious flashpoint ideas around recruitment, retention, or even like the the different types of things you should be arguing about and taking a Should it be easier to fire people or not? You can disagree or, or agree, but everyone's like, th- there's this life cycle of the workforce process and you can try to get into each of those pieces and, and debate what the reform should be. In, in procurement, I, I personally feel less grounded in terms of what are the different topics. Is it this Begets, central versus decentral? Begets
0: very technical very fast. It That's does. the issue. Yeah. And that there is no you know, you're, you're hiring a person, you're managing a person either up or, or sideways or out, right? I mean um, And while their jobs are very different, the whole notion of a person showing up and doing a job is, is pretty standardized. Yeah there's, there's nothing standardized in the acquisition world, and there is this like underlying theme. That everyone selling to the government is a potential thief.
1: Yeah, right. Which I think is uh, not necessarily an, it's it's not an unhealthy skepticism that we should have, but we need to calibrate it better.
0: Right. I mean, there there are many many organizations, very large ones, who will not sell directly to the federal government because one of the requirements is um, that you. You know, and it's a logical requirement. If you give a price to one agency, it has to be the price for every agency. Yeah. The most favored nation you know, treatment. And in fact, there are requirements that say if you give a price to the federal government, it should be the best price you give anyone.
1: Yes. No, that is part of the GSA requirement.
0: Right. Yeah. And so that is enforceable by audit and inspection, meaning all your books have to be available for inspection. Yeah, no, by auditors and, and, and here's where it gets really interesting, and I think it is under penalty of, of federal law. So you can have someone sell it to Billy's agency for X, you know, and Billy's agency gets a deal, and your agency sells buys it for Y. Now it's a bigger agency with more requirements, whatever. But someone could come in and. Audit the books of the organization, find out that there was this X versus Y issue, and you're in you're in, as you said, Oregon and Billy's here in DC and it suddenly you violated federal law. Yeah. Now the federal government can't tell you what price it paid, what it bought. They couldn't <laughs> tell you. But they can go and make you tell them. Yeah, as part and of so, an audit, absolutely. So suddenly people are like, you know, I, I'm not really interested in that market. Yeah so but again and there's a, so that first it comes principle back, but there's of a good competition reason for begins the, to diminish but there's a good reason
1: for the sure. for the audit um, I think I was going to say what 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 becomes really interesting um, to start to unpack and give you a sense of all the different kind of um, angles that you can take on this is there are a lot of companies out there who have products and services that the government needs, but they don't want to do business because of some of these requirements. Mm-hmm. And so, what's happened in different segments is resellers
0: have oh, I, come into to play. I completely agree. There's this whole now mezzanine layer yeah. who say, "Listen, we'll take on that risk. Exactly. We'll take on that process," which makes a lot of sense. You know, that that's a great way to mitigate it. But those people aren't working for free,
1: right? So they're they're as part of of being the, the the connective point between the government and these other vendors, they have to pay their people. and They Absolutely. have to make money, so they're adding to the overall cost of the government. Because if the potentially, because if the government was buying directly from the original vendor and not going through reseller, uh, I think there's many evidential points that could say that the price would ultimately be cheaper. But the problem is, is they can't. Because that the reseller is there because that vendor may not want to do business with the government based on the terms and conditions that the government is offering. Look, we can go in a, in a million different directions. I think this may need to be a two-parter. Maybe we bring in a guest to start to mm-hmm. break down. But I think I think it would be an interesting discussion to start getting into what are some of the, you know, we laid out the, the basic frame and the problem statement in this podcast. Uh, maybe in a future podcast we, uh, we connect back to this and talk a little bit about some of like the, the king-for-a-day reforms. I think HR, workforce, you and I were able to encapsulate in one podcast, get the problem statement out there, and then start rolling up sleeves. I think in procurement, based on for the reasons we talked about, we needed a whole podcast to lay out the issue and maybe another session to, to be our king for a day.
0: No, I think that's right, and I think that this is the reason why um, people walk in and say, you know, we need to fix the way the government buys stuff. Yeah. And they start learning about it, and there's no step along that process where someone says, yes, we should abandon, you know, competition. No yes. one says, oh, we should abandon, you know, best value. Uh, no absolutely one, not. No one says we should abandon uh, terms and conditions. Yeah. Any one of those terms and conditions in abstraction is a great term or condition. Yeah. To
1: use one of my favorite phrases, the federal procurement process regulations requirements has the right north star. hmm it just it needs now to potentially be corrected in how it's how it's following that that north trajectory um but all of these public policy requirements are absolutely reasonable mm-hmm. get best value p- push competition prevent fraud prevent uh the the lemon from being bought by the u.s government prevent the shady deal prevent nepotism um all of it makes sense the question is is uh, we should be in a continuous improvement environment and i don't think we see enough tinkering uh, trying different things uh, a little bit more of a risk preferred approach because it would be worth it i'd rather have uh, like a, a maybe one uh moment of of error slip through if it means that a uh, hundred more procurements would be uh, better served by mm-hmm. a smarter regime and that's something that uh, that we can talk about on the next podcast.
0: Right. And that's why I think we need some countervailing force to the purely um, uh, uh, compliance driven. Yeah. You know, I was joking, we need in- innovation generals who write mean reports about agencies that, that aren't expecting. They're not taking enough aren't risks. taking risk. That
1: would be good. <laughs> and then they
0: could duke it out between the inspector general and the yes. in- innovation yes. general saying, you know, you've. You've, you've colored way outside your lines, and, and these guys saying you're not coloring far enough, or this is why you did it.
1: Although well, I'm picturing the congressional hearing, and it's
0: like exactly you'd, you'd getting ha- beat it up from it both itself. angles. Yeah, yes. yeah, right, right. You'd want to be in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. All right.
1: All right, well, Dan, great. until next time. Thanks, Danny. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Gov Actually on the FedScoop Radio Network. If you want to reach out to us, you can tweet us at, at govactually or you can send an email to dan at govactually.com or danny at govactually.com.